Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. We are joined by our very special guest today, Matthew Gertzman, to talk with us about negotiating salaries. Matthew, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Sure. My uh, my name is Matthew Gersman. I am a software engineer at Dropbox. I am a Slytherin. I also co-host a different podcast called The Console Log. And my favorite happy hour beverage, I am pretty basic. I like the locale vodka soda. No, hey, that's, that's actually a first on our episode, so well done. And actually, we've had your uh, fellow co-hosts for The Console Log on a previous episode, uh, it's been a while, but we did have Harry Wolf on. He is Harry like the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be listening to this and just being like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's also go around the table and give introductions of today's panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. My name's Augustus here, and I am a front-end engineer at Evernote. I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front-end engineer at Atlassian. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Bass. 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 <laughs> Which bass is it? I'm all about that bass. About that bass. <laughs> I was really hoping no one would make that joke. I thought we were above that, but... Cheers! I'm not above anything. <laughs> I see that. All right. Well, let's hop right into this salary negotiation topic. How important is it to negotiate your salary during an offer from a company? Super important. All right. Done. Episode done. done. Yeah. (laughs) We solved the problem? Uh, I would say it depends. All right. What does it depend on? Uh, Your seniority, what they're offering, the company size, like many, many things. I I would not advise going in like, I'm fresh out of college, pay me me more money than like you're offering because like you didn't earn it. You don't You don't know anything yet. Like there are certain jobs you take. Ryan and I, we, we've had similar upbringings. Like we took a lower salary in the beginning so we can learn more stuff. Yeah. Then move on. I don't know if I had the choice. I think I just, that's what I got paid. Exactly. Not everybody has the choice to negotiate. Too. For, the, for the record, if you are a new grad working at Google, you will get paid a total compensation of $190,000. So damn. So you Ooh. should expect what I just said. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I pulled that from levels.fyi. I recommend it for looking at what all the big tech companies pay. Was that base? That was that right. is Probably total, not, but, but cheers. I want to change my answer. I yes, you're absolutely correct. I was not thinking that. About well, I I think it is important. Maybe in the sense that I think it goes back to you need to know what you're worth. I think that's really important. Is like knowing what new grads are paid. So if we go with a new grad, let's start there. Is like if you look at what other people are paying new grads other companies and really understanding and also where you live because that can depend too i think it's important to understand that and then if you feel that it's they're going below that then yeah you might want to negotiate your salary even if you're fresh out of school so i think it it depends but also like there's some good resources i hate to say it but like sometimes like glassdoor i don't know how great it is it's it's not the best but it's, it's somewhere to start or apps like blind i've actually never used but i hear it, it's similar I've to Glassdoor. I've heard terrible, terrible yeah. things. But I mean, there's ways to do a little bit of research. Yeah, there there are lots of websites that host sal- that host salaries. Glassdoor is a good example. Levels.fyi is another one. And you know, it's it's not any one salary that you want to key off of. It's just like you want to look at the general average for where you live and be like, what am I worth based on my skill level? Yeah, and I think it also you can ask other engineers. I mean, that that sometimes works. Not everyone wants to divulge their salary, but. It might help to just ask and be transparent about that and say like, oh, I think we're similar skill sets. Like, what are you getting paid? We have the same amount of years of experience, et cetera. Yeah, that is that is definitely a conversation I recommend having with close friends because it will help you negotiate in the future just knowing what other people around you are getting paid. Yeah, and also knowing what the companies are paying too because like it, it does vary. Like I didn't know Google paid almost 200K for like a new grad. Yeah, so that is, that is total compensation. So the base compensation. Cheers. 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 In that case, it's probably like 110-ish and then stock and then bonus and then whatever else they kind of give. So... Keep in mind that that's that's the total total, and that's also like the top of the ladder for a new grad. Right, right. You're, you're only getting that if you are graduating from a top tier school and you have like just you know a four O and everything. But some new grad somewhere is getting it, and I like being technically correct. <laughs> <laughs> like there, there should be a caveat next to like levels or Glassdoor, 
think LinkedIn has one to try to scrape your data about salary information too. Nice try, LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> but like these are all self-reported, so like take them with a grain of salt. Right, that yes. they may not be accurate. They're just what some random person is telling you, and there's no way to verify. Or out of stuff. date. That's another one I've actually yeah. seen where I'm like, well, I think that's kind of low, and it probably is because then you look at it, it's like, yeah, it was posted like five years ago. So Glassdoor is notoriously that's, that's kind of why like super out of date. Glassdoor like to me is always out of date. That's my problem with it. Yeah, I think there's like you don't want to be cynical, but you do have to assume that companies do want to get the best deal, and, and like some don't, some like legitimately say we're going to pay you know top of market, but others are not, and they're trying to you know, get the best value for their money. So they may not be offering you something that is the right amount for the market. So the whole conversation that we just had about research, hugely important. Do that do that research. So like if they do come way under what the market in that area for your number of years of experience is, that you can you'll know that and then you can come back and say, hey, I did some research. This is what I found. And you can be very matter of fact about it. Um, but I think it's very important to negotiate if you're getting offered something that's not fair for where you are in your experience level. Yeah. So I guess we're saying it depends if yeah. you should negotiate, but I think it all comes down to do your research and understand that. I think another way to research or whatever you want to think about is interview with other companies too. And that's hard ask. It is. I'm going to say that because interviewing is a lot of work and a lot of time and effort, it could probably be a full day away from work if you already have a job. And so that's it's hard to interview with a lot of places, but that can also help you better understand if you have multiple offers, you can better understand what you should be negotiating with other with the company that you might choose to go with. So the last time I was switching jobs, what I did was I've actually done this effectively twice now, but last time was a little sneakier. I told the company that I had a friend visiting from out of town for an entire week. This was like six weeks out. And every company I interviewed with, I said, this is the week I'm doing on sites. And I just had that week ready and like marked like six weeks to two months out. And then I just scheduled them all and did them all in a week. And you mentioned like getting out of work, like calling in sick is hard. But if you can do, if you're like being very methodical about it, you can do something like that. And then like the most of the upfront cost of interviewing is studying. So you do that and then you you're just like doing all the interviews in a week and then you go back to work and pray you have an offer by Monday. I like that. Actually, wow. that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and also you have that line of like, I've got to study and be prepared for a week of interviews. Yeah, it, it was really helpful. The other thing is, is that tech companies is a big play when negotiating are I, I just love this tech companies are full of themselves and if you pass anyone's interview they're going to believe that you can pass every other interview you're at which gives you a dramatic amount of leverage because just by the ra the fact that you're still interviewing they're just like oh we he, they're gonna get an offer elsewhere so we just need to we need to close them now one other comment just about the how important is it to nego negotiate i would say for people who have put like particularly been paid lower in the industry based on gender or uh, people of color, that kind of thing. I, I think it is probably very important for you to really consider um, negotiating because there tends to, there can be this, you're getting offered lower for no other reason than unconscious bias or maybe intentionally. Um, so I think it's very important to negotiate uh, in, in that respect. I like that you brought that up. I've seen it too, where someone's they, their career is just always behind in salary because they did a poor job negotiating off that one first job or a job because then it's always, oh, we'll pay you a little bit more than next job and a little bit more and you get bumped up each time, but you were already kind of below the market value. Yep. And that's that sucks. Yeah. And some studies are like women don't necessarily maybe always negotiate when they should and men tend to negotiate more often. And so therefore getting more pay bumps and higher salary in general, just because of even the initiative to, to negotiate. So I do think it's really important. Yeah. And actually, I think um, a common reason why some don't negotiate, which is a huge misconception. Actually, I think, Matt, you talked about it in your talk, which is a lot of people don't negotiate negotiate because they feel that oh, if I negotiate, they're going to like revoke the offer immediately yeah. or something. And that's a huge fear, but it's a huge misconception. Do you they will talk never about? revoke the offer. Mm -hmm. So that is not true. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will... I was just about to rebuttal yeah. that one. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, Ryan, we both have a friend that uh, who's a recruiter at one of the big tech companies, not the one we work for. Um, but she was like, I will absolutely be like, no, we can't do that. And we're going to take your offer. Because uh, people... We have to shed light on why. Why would this get revoked? So... 
you said it earlier and you mentioned in your talk to uh, leverage. Like it's important to understand how much leverage you have with any given company. So if you're a new grad or graduated from boot camp and you're in, I don't know, Ben Fork, Tennessee, and there's two companies in town and you're trying to get your first job, you probably don't have that much leverage. Like honestly, you just have to understand like your skill set, location, what are the competitors, what are other people going to pay you? Um, you need to understand that before going in. So what burns a lot of people is they hear stories like Matthew tells, like, if I work at Google, I'm going to make 190. That's what I, that's what I'm worth. And you try to take that to other tech companies. Like one, they're going to say no, more than likely. Two, they're going to say, who are you? We have an entire pool of people to select from. We don't need one person who's trying to like be greedy. And like, we just need the hassle. Big tech companies have an entire list of people to hire from. You're not that special, unfortunately. You are right. And if you... If you are a new grad and you ask for 200 grand even at the average place or three or four or you are further in your career and you ask for half a million dollars, that is probably way too much. But what a lot of people get caught up is they get caught up on five or 10 or even $20,000 and 20 grand is a lot of money to us. But it's not that absurd to a tech company. Like you ask for 20 grand more than you're worth from a tech company. And as far as they're concerned, that's just like a highball that they need to get, that they need to go lower. Because the fact is, is they, as Stacey, you mentioned, they want to get the best deal possible. So uh, they are inevitably going to offer less than they want to pay because they expect that they have to go up. So you want to ask for more than you actually think you're worth or more than you actually want. So then when they go down, you get something in the middle and everyone's happy. I th- I mean it, it is game, but I think too like to even hit a little bit more on what Jem said. It goes back to my point about researching and understanding that because I think yeah, if you go in there and you're like I'm worth half a million dollars because I I saw that on Glassdoor, you know that that's not going to mean that they're like okay, well we're going to offer you this. If they offered you like a hundred k and you come up asking like five times what they've then you're being extreme. To me, that shows a little bit of immaturity too. It's like that recruiter from the big tech company might look at that and go, well, they're like completely off base and they might not pull the offer immediately, but they might follow up of like, why, why, what, what made you come up with that number? Like we're completely off base. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. But you just said a hundred grand. What if they say a hundred grand and you say one twenty? That's why I think you're, you're, you're right. There is like, I think it's a smaller percentage of going upward. It's not out of the question. And the company may still come back to you and say, hey, we feel 100 is the uh, fair offer and that's what we're going to do. At that point, I can't see a company pulling the offer because you asked for 20K more. Right. And that's that's really the point I'm trying to make is I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable asking for not not small amounts of money to us, but small amounts of money to the company. And they're unlikely to pull that offer because you asked for 20K more. And the, the, worst, the worst that'll probably happen in that situation is they say, no, we're going to pay 100 and then you take it or you take another offer. And it really comes down to how much leverage you have. I actually know a real company where there was a mid-level engineer making 80 grand, a junior engineer making 90, another mid-level engineer making 100, a senior engineer making 120. Don't ask me how I know all this. <laughs> a mid making 140 and then a senior making 180 all because of negotiation, and this was just a bad place that wanted to take advantage of people. Yeah, so actually, actually uh, to kind of build on maybe this and maybe just to clarify, so let's, and I think a really good point you mentioned was how much leverage you have, like really knowing that and doing research. So let's say I was a new grad, and I did some research, and maybe they maybe say they pay one, 100, and they actually give me that. They like say, hey, the offer is 100, you know, what do you, what do you say? Do you think it's worth negotiating like to for 120 or do you think it's fair to just take it? Like what, what would be your recommendation? Ask for 110. I always think you should ask for a little bit more. Um I think we're trained by society not to ask for money and to feel like we're ask like we're getting too much, but it's a corporation. The corporation should be paying you for your value and uh, like if you ask for 110 and they offered 100, they're probably going to give you 105. And that's five extra grand you have in your pocket. That's a whole vacation. And you're probably not going to get that raise after that first year. You're like, maybe going to get bumped up to 110 after a year. Probably 105. So it's just like, 
just asking for a little bit is is helpful. The other thing I like to mention that you said, we've all been talking as though the company is the first one that says the number, and that is the ideal situation. That almost never happens. What normally happens is you mention a number and the company starts chipping away at it, as opposed to the company mentioning a number and then you can go up from it. So the advice I like to give is the first number they say is the is the lower bound. The first number you say is the upper bound. So be very mindful of that when you're starting the interview process. I would say it depends. A lot of jobs when you start, they'll give you a range. They'll say they'll they won't tell you what they'll pay you. They'll say like, here's the range. I think a lot of people are like, what was the biggest number they said? Okay, that's what I'm gonna get. And they that may not be true. You may not have the experience to be like a level three or something. You're a level two. It's important to know that. But to your point, Augustus. I don't know if you if you negotiate ahead of time said like here's what the role is worth it's worth 100k a year mm-hmm. uh, and you get to the interview and it's all said and done I would not look kindly on someone that's like well actually I want 110 because like we agreed in the beginning like this is what I'm worth that's fair so I I what I I just misheard what he said or maybe we heard him differently what I heard was you get to the end and they give you an offer and you're like this is what I thought I was worth and they gave it to me but I haven't given them a number yet. So yeah, that, that was how actually actually that was what I was saying. Okay. Okay. But yeah, but yeah it, it is a pretty sensitive and sounds like there's a lot of that a lot to like look into like for like when 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 the negotiation actually happens. You know, you have to be really conscientious of all these things. There's a lot that plays into it. Yeah, the other thing I want to note by the way, we're throwing around $100,000 as just like a number. It's mm-hmm. not very realistic yep. in some parts of the country. Or in parts of the world in general. So Right. So it's we just an are, easy number. The, the, yes. This group is primarily based out of San Francisco and I live in New York City full time, so in, in those cities that is a like a not unheard of number at all to get, but in, you know, if you are in say Florida, which is where I'm originally from, you might might get 60 grand and that could be a good deal there well and i think okay and that's really important to call out too is that oftentimes like the bay area or new york expensive places live that's also why the salaries might be a little bit different in that respect to being a bit higher if your cost of living is a lot less well that you might not have the high salary which is okay it's i think also to augustus's question is if you truly did your research and you felt confident that you, the offer that you got is on par with what you think you're worth, maybe it's not worth negotiating. I don't know. Like I'm a little in the camp of Matthew of just saying like it does. If you haven't really talked through it, it doesn't hurt to ask for a little more. And the reason I say that too is because of sometimes how companies up level. And once you've been at a company, it, it's unfortunate. I've been there many, many times where I've gotten raises because I've jumped to a new company. And that sucks. It's one of the only reasons I've gotten significant bumps in salaries yeah. by moving companies. Because it costs a lot to hire someone, to train them, to get them like oriented and skilled, leveled up. And then, yeah, they can go next door and start fresh and get paid a lot more. And so that negotiating up front is really important. Yeah, in a but lot that's, of those. that's on the company. And if you're at a good place, like I think most of the people in this room are, you're at a company that focuses on growth and focuses on up-leveling you and make sure that you're not going to leave when you've hit that next skill level. But I know a lot of people who've been taken advantage of by series A, B, C startups just because they were, you know, they... it. It's still a decent chunk of change to the company, but they're still getting taken advantage. Like those salaries I listed earlier, those were real people making very different prices because there were unscrupulous people negotiating with them. So it's come up a few times. We've talked about our nice little keyword there on the the salary. How should we think about stock versus your base salary? Cheers. 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 So it depends. If it's a public company, then considering stock as part of your total compensation is something you should consider. If it's a private company, which a lot of them are, uh, aka a startup, the way I always say is you can't pay your rent in stock options. But Jem, yes, I might win the lottery. You know, I could become Facebook rich. It could very well happen. It is a real lottery ticket. It is literally a lottery <laughs> ticket, and it has only it has slightly better odds. <laughs> It's interesting you bring this up. I think there's a huge survivorship bias with startups in that you only ever hear about people getting rich off their stock options. You don't hear about people writing off $1,000 on their taxes because they bought their options when they quit and they went to zero. Preacher. Yeah. Wait, wait. Quick, quick nod of assent around the room. Have you ever talked to a recruiter for a startup who didn't say this is like the hottest, newest, we're part of a X billion dollar industry? Like literally I've heard it 
a million times over and they're always the next big thing. Jim, let me pull up my email. Oh, yeah. I probably have some I just unread. I LinkedIn yes. and picked... Series A funding, blah, blah. Blah, like. blah. What about the... Wait, what, one of my biggest pet peeves is... Stealth. That one is my biggest pet peeve. We're a stealth startup. We're going to get funding. You know, it's funny. There's a startup that I interviewed at four years ago and it was mutually just like not a great fit. I actually think that they thought that they were going to go on to do good things. And I recently heard from a recruiter and they were talking about the same startup and that they're still in stealth mode. And I was just like, you haven't started selling a product in four years? <laughs> yeah, because stealth mode means that they really haven't shipped a product, correct? That's what yeah. stealth mode yeah, is. My is assumption. That- I-, I think research is like super important, whether it's a startup or even like a normal company. Actually, I have like a random story. Like when I was considering an internship at Evernote, um, I actually got an offer from group or well i got invited to like speak with groove shark and this was like they like and so i had a great conversation with them the team sounded awesome it sounded like they were going to pay really well um even though they were based in florida but i did like the math and actually i want to like re like restate what ryan and everyone has said like really look at the location and the living expense because what matters is what you're taking home, right? Like, compa- do the math. It makes a difference. Sorry to interrupt. I lived in, I went to school in Gainesville, Florida, and my rent was $400 a month. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I pay a lot more now. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, yeah. So I, I was super stoked. But then I did some research. They had a lot of lawsuits. I thought it was really risky. Um, I also didn't necessarily want to go to Florida. And then I wouldn't either. <laughs> two, two years, two few years later, if you don't know, Groove Shark went out of business, and that's a really scary position to be in. And that can happen anywhere, but I it think definitely you can. you did the research and yep. started to really look at it and go, hmm, might not be that worthwhile. I I've been lucky, but I've never once turned out an offer from a company that later I'm like, oh man, I really missed the boat on that one. It has never happened. But I, I could be lucky. But the odds of it happening, like Matt, you said, it's a lottery ticket. It's Right. It's so remote that we always think Google, Facebook, Twitter, the big companies. But again, how many big companies are there? You could probably put them on one hand. The thing is, it's survivorship bias. So this week I saw a tweet trending that someone rejected a Instagram offer in 2011. But it's just like somebody had to reject an Instagram offer in 2011. <laughs> but there were probably a thousand other offers that were rejected from companies that no longer exist. Yeah, I mean, I wish I bought Amazon stock when, what, oh, yeah. 10 years ago. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, you can't look at that. You can't say, because who knows, at the time of your life, that might have been the right call not to take that job. Who knows, right? Like, it might not have been the right fit for you at that time. Yeah, so Augustus mentioned something that I thought was really interesting was moving somewhere for a job. And so years and years ago, uh, it was actually, it was at the Empire JS you spoke at. There was, I, I'm pointing a gem. There was a talk uh, just about like being a good empathetic software engineer. And one of the lines that I remember from this talk was, there is no magical tech city. And I thought that was really interesting because that, like I had recently moved to New York, which is where I wanted to live and the, was the right place for me. But it's not the right place for everyone. So you don't need to live in the big tech city, but maybe don't move somewhere for a job if there isn't any fallback in that area. So, for example, Gainesville, Florida, there were no other companies other than GrooveShark. So when GrooveShark went under, you would have been in trouble. But if you move to, uh, you know, a more urban area that has many, many tech companies, then it's like, okay, it goes under, but you can find another job pretty quickly. And luckily, right now, software engineering is pretty in demand. Yeah. Which is nice. But yeah, that's I like that too, is that if you go to a place where that one startup or company is, that can be tough. Yeah, I one piece of advice I just have for everyone, live wherever you want to live. There is nothing worse than hating the place that you live. Just trust me on that. And where did you hate living? Where we are right now. <laughs> <laughs> San Francisco. You know what's funny? Here's just a funny thing about New York tech. Everyone who works in tech at New York can tell you why they decided not to live in the Bay Area. I've I mean, lived in both places. So yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, Jem <laughs> moved out to the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, that's a different episode. We've talked about that on the Yeah, but so anyway, the, yeah, the, yeah. Anyway, the, the, only, the only point to that was live in a place that makes you happy. Don't live somewhere for a job. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable. No, that's, I think that's a fair point. Yeah. Your happiness is invaluable. Sure. Yeah. In fact, that's really what we're optimizing for here. So like yes. we're talking about asking for more money. And this is actually a quote from my grandmother, which is that money doesn't buy you happiness, but money does buy you comfort. 
So money pays for your rent, it pays for your food, it pays for, you know, your your kids your kids tuition and whatever, but it's it's not going to like it just makes you comfortable and then gives you that baseline. But having infinitely more money will not make you infinitely happier. You might have the most expensive divorce ever. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. 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 So back to our question 10 minutes ago about stock versus uh salary. Again, if it's a public company and you can actually take that stock and sell it for actual money, then cool. That consider that part of your uh, compensation. If you can't, you can get an offer for I don't know fifty thousand dollars in Oakland and a million dollars in stock options <laughs> in my new four stealth, years. over four years in my new stealth startup. Cool. You can't pay your rent in stock options. Uh, how long did it take Dropbox to go public? Is it eleven years? years? Eleven years. Yeah. So imagine you're like. Yeah, I've got all this stock options. However, you still have to live a life, have a maybe get married, maybe have kids, maybe go on vacation, and you can't do that with stock options. Yeah, so a lot of people at some unicorns right now, uh, most notably Uber, are experiencing what's called golden handcuffs. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) This is great. Where you have millions of dollars in options that will expire if you leave, you need to buy them. And the tax situation is so ridiculous that you will be buying them and the government will claim that you have made millions of dollars when you cannot liquidate it. So you're just stuck at a job because you cannot leave because your options will expire. Right. And the options expire over so many years, typically. But you're right, is you also have to pay the tax. And that's the expensive part when it's really not worth anything. Right. So just to explain, if you are buying... So options are the option to buy shares at the price they were at when you joined. So if you get 10 options at a dollar each, and those options are now worth $100 each, you spend $10 to get your 10 shares, which are now worth $1,000. And you need to spend about $990 in tax... In You need to pay taxes on that money as though you made it regardless of if you can sell the shares it's weird too because yeah then people are like well avoiding to pay that i'll just keep working here and unfortunately sometimes people aren't happy in those jobs but they stick it out because they're that's what the golden handcuffs are really what that refers to yeah actually related to stocks do you want to by chance go over what's the difference between like options and RSUs, restricted stock units? Because I know a lot of companies will offer RSUs, especially the small companies, um, over options, or maybe it's stocks. or even big companies. Even know, big companies. I was gonna say yeah, RSUs. even yeah, even like public companies, right? Yeah, Alaskan's public. Um, so yeah, even public companies will do that as well. So it's not just the small companies or startups that that give RSUs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are companies too. Yeah. Um, the bigger ones. So options are like I said, the option to buy a share is how I like to remember it. And an RSU is an actual share. So let's say it's worth ten dollars a share. They are giving you these shares regardless of if they can be liquid. Now. Most companies, if they're giving you RSUs, will probably do something like withhold a certain amount to pay the taxes on your behalf, so you won't end up in this weird tax situation. But if you get RSUs, you get shares that are theoretically worth something and you never have to pay for. If you get options, you theoretically have to buy them when you... Well, you don't theoretically. You do have to buy them when you want to sell them. Or you could choose not to buy them, I guess. Just sure. leave them on the table. Say, nope. There isn't... So old, old Jim, not like Jim Young... Jim Old. Jim Jim old. old. He, he would have said, uh, RSUs are absolutely better because instead of having to pay for something, they're just giving it to me. Uh, RSUs are restricted stock units. However, when they give you RSUs, the company may not be liquid. Like You can't sell those for any money. You're still stuck in whatever Series B, whatever. You're like, cool, I've got a million dollars worth of RSUs. You do owe taxes on RSUs because to the IRS, that is money. Even though you can't do anything with it, you still have made a million dollars in RSUs. And that is a danger, especially you can end up owing so much in taxes and then the company goes under and then all those taxes you paid are just gone. You can deduct them from capital uh, losses, but you can only deduct like 3,000 a year or something like that. Yeah, so this actually, this was a big thing during the dot-com bubble. Uh, and the government just, I think it was AOL employees, they just had to straight up bail them out. They just had to like make exceptions to all the rules for them because so many people bought their options and they couldn't liquidate them and they were just in so much trouble. So that that is, it's important to understand like if the company's offering you RSUs or options, understand the tax implications of that. Is the company going to go public or can I do something with my RSUs in the future? Options are great. You have to pay money on them. However, you have the option of buying them. If not, you can just walk away and say like, Ryan's stealth 
autonomous dog walking service is never going to make money. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> going to make money. I, I I do not want anything to do with it. It's not going to cost me any money. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell everyone. It's a stealth. Oh, yeah. It's stealth. Sorry. <laughs> stealth. But it, it's something to consider. Um, but I like to think of when you talk about total compensation, again, what can you pay your rent in? Because that, is, at the end of the day, is can I put in my 401k? Can I go on vacation with it? If that not, all comes out of your base. Base. Cheers. <laughs> Sorry. You know, we've talked about salary and we've talked about stock options. And we've kind of talked about divulging salary maybe or providing that to other engineers to help them, you know, understand what they're worth. Should you, in an interview, divulge your salary that you're currently making? And this is interesting. In California, it is actually illegal for companies to ask you what your salary is. It is also illegal in New York City. I did not know that. It's recent. Just New York City or like New York State? I believe it's New York City, but I'm not a lawyer. Okay, all right, fair. Um, but <laughs> but I'm interested, like, should you divulge your, your what you're currently making? I'm working at company A and I want to join company B. And company B is like, well, what are you currently making? Should you divulge that? It's really complicated. So in in many past jobs, I have been not necessarily, I don't know if naive is the right word, but I'm like, no, that's a fair fair question. They want to understand like what's a fair compensation for where I'm at currently. And I would divulge it. And now looking back at that and, and then looking back at the history of pay for women in this industry, it's not cool that I divulge that. I Whether or not, it, I maybe I was getting paid fairly for market at that time, but I shouldn't have done that. It should have been more of like, here's the range that I'm looking to be at based on my research for this market and this job and my level um, because if you start off low and you continue to be paid low, yep. they're going to base it off of you being below market and it will, the cycle will continue. Cheers. 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 I, I just want to really build on that. This is actually why like the law that in California where you're not recruiters aren't allowed to ask you this, it's called the Equal Pay Act and it's to ad- address this thing exactly because people who were getting paid less than what they are worth they would be in the cycle of always being con- constantly being paid less than what the market is yeah so uh earlier i mentioned that whatever number you say is an immediate lower bound and that's important because a lot of the time at the very beginning of the interview the recru- before you've even done a technical interview the recruiter will say to you so how much are you making or how much do you want and maybe you'll say i want a hundred thousand dollars and then after you pass your first technical interview which you know you're feeling kind of shaky about because we all feel shaky after interviews thank you yes Truth. maybe the word is throw up Yes. Anyway, so anyway, when you're feeling that way and then the recruiter comes back and says, you wanted 95, right? They can keep chipping away throughout the process. So I actually have some magic words that feel awkward, but you just need to practice them in a mirror and repeat them for me. And those are, let's wait to discuss comp until we decide if this is a good fit. Cheers. That Cheers. is That is good advice. So I'm going to repeat those words for you. Let's wait to discuss comp until we decide if this is a good fit. Because that way you're just saying, we want to wait until we see when this interview is over. And then also, you can change how much you ask for based on how well you think you did. If you can tell they really want you, you can ask for more money. If you're like, oh my God, I need to get this job, you can ask for less because like you think that's what you need. So it's good to it's if you can get them in a situation to say the first number, you're golden. I think that's fair. And also I I think of Stacy and I've moved to the Bay Area. Actually a bunch of us have moved to the Bay Area. And obviously when I was talking salary I wasn't really aware. I'm in a different city or location. I was in a different country. And that may differ, right? Like what I'm getting paid is not going to reflect the same as what the Bay Area is. And so I think of it, and this is actually something I said when I was negotiating and talking through that. It was more, I think I got asked like what my (laughs) expectations were. And I put that a bit back on them and said, I'm also looking to you as I'm new to this area and I'm looking to see like what what is the range. So you're pu- putting it back on them to ask them that as well. Put that on them to say, well, this is typically what we pay or at least get some sort of numbers out of them first, going back to your point, Matthew. Yeah. And it's also really important to remember that negotiations are not symmetrical. So 
you do this once every two to five years. They do this once every two to five days. Oh, yeah. So they, they are much more practiced at this. They know all the magic words to say to make you feel uncomfortable and get you to spit out a number quickly. So like Ryan just said, you want to put the onus on them. I also believe that not all companies are evil. I do like I don't think they're all out to screw you over and like lowball you. But I think you need to. You need to build that rapport with them and understand, are they doing this? Ask me my, you know, what expectations are, what my salary is. Are they doing that to lowball me or is what are they doing with that information? Yeah. And I'll, and to be to be fair to your point, if uh, I, it's kind of worth saying that if the company is trying to screw you out of a salary, they probably don't care very much about you in general. But it's it's hard to know that when you're earlier in your career. I have certainly worked in more toxic environments than others. And those places did not pay as well, or at least did not pay as fairly as others. I, th- I think overall in uh, echoing what everybody says is, I, yeah, don't give free information if you don't have to. If there's no benefit to you, then information is worth something. But above all, like it doesn't matter how friendly the recruiter is, how friendly the hiring manager is, how friendly the CEO, he may call you on the phone. Uh, like She may say, like, oh, we really want you. We, we got to have you here. But our budget's tight and all these things. That's cool. Like understand where they're coming from, but also understand they're not your friend. It is a business. Uh, if it came down to liquidating the business and the uh, CEO has become a billionaire, they will do it and like send all of you out on the street. I don't want to be mean about it, but like all this, I, I've been at enough startups where it's like, we're family. We're cool. And it's like, you're not family. It's a business. Treat it that, like that. Uh, they're not going to pay your rent if you get fired or they're underpaying you. It's just, you have to be kind of more aggressive about it. Yeah, here, here's another like little story or scenario where if you divulge like what you're currently making, let's say it's part of a relocation. So let's say you're relocating to a different city, different cost of living. If you divulge, let's say, what you're making currently in a different area, and then they come very low for like the cost of living adjustment for the city that you're you're relocating to, and you say and you come back to them and you say, listen, like that doesn't necessarily cover the cost of living adjustment um, from from my perspective. Um, based on like all this research I've done, they could come back to you and say like, oh, we don't take cost of living adjustments into account when we do relocations. Uh, It's all market-based, blah, blah, blah. That's the danger you get into because what you've now painted yourself into a little bit of a hole where they're basing what they're offering on what you've told them as opposed to they'll say it's market, but if you don't do the research and you can say, actually, no, the market's actually higher and now they're going to come back to you saying, like, we don't do cost of living adjustments. So that's a danger of, like, divulging too soon. So that's, like, another reason to not do that. Which that's really not market either, what they said, if, if yeah, that's what they're saying. That's absolutely. not market. Yeah, yeah it's and, very wordsmithy. And uh, to echo what you're saying, Stacey, is, like, look up wherever you're moving, if you're going to relocate to another uh, city, look up how much the median, like, studio or one-bedroom apartment is. Or so what you're comfortable, too. I think that's, yeah. it's like, because you might have a family. That's a big thing, too, is, like, the studio ain't going to cut that. Like you're not living with kids in a studio apartment. And so, yeah, you have to look at like, what am I going to be able to live comfortably and pay? And what are you paying my salary? You know, it's funny. This is uh, outside of tech. I was talking to my sister who is a teacher and she lives in Charleston. Teachers should be paid much more. I Yes, I agree. Totally agree to that. Base, yes. Base, base, base. 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 Cheers. Cheers. So anyway, we were we were discussing, you know, where she was going to live. Her her husband's a doctor, so he gets paid. And, <laughs> or will get paid. He's in med school. Where they were going to live when he's in residency. And she mentioned, well, I found out that teachers get paid this much in New York City. And she's like... and. She's like, so maybe that'll be good when we're first having kids. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Do you know how much childcare costs in New York City? That's going to cost more than your rent. Like, you might as well not even work. So uh, you mentioned having a family like that. Like, it can be much more expensive in some places than others. Yep. No, I think it's always all those things has to be considered when you're thinking. And that's something earlier me, I wish I would have known and thought about cost of living. Um like a hundred thousand, we we throw it around casually, but in San Francisco, that's not that much. The median one bedroom is about thirty one hundred. Uh, yeah. So, and then also figure your tax bracket is going to move. People don't ever account for that. So your take home pay is probably going to be like seventy. So half of that already is to rent. Yeah, and so not you only is car, your yeah, not only is your tax bracket going to change from your increase in salary, it's also going to change based on where you are. So Florida has no state income tax. New York and San Francisco have state and I believe city taxes. New York does. San Francisco does not. Have okay, so I don't York, know why they don't. They should. New York has a city tax that's like three percent or something, but like it's not negligible. 
All right, before we jump into picks, I feel like we need, we've need we covered a lot of great information. What's one piece of advice you would give someone who's right in the middle of negotiating an offer with a new company or even just negotiating a bump in their pay for, hey, they've been at the company for a couple of years or whatever, and they're they're negotiating. What's one piece of advice that we can all leave them? Like, what would you say to that person? Uh, sometimes, so let's say you, you interviewed a company, you love them, you love the team. This is like something you're passionate about. It's an area you're passionate about, but the comp isn't quite where you want it to. Base salary is one thing. Sometimes, cheers. uh, cheers. cheers. Sometimes a lot of startups, they like, they just can't move. They're like we have space for 10 engineers at this price and we just can't afford to pay you double. Well, you say, okay, they're flexible on other things such as vacation time. Um, like more stock options take those what you will uh location location, relocation bonuses starting bonuses uh yearly bonuses sometimes they can move on those where they can't move on salary because of weird company politics and it's important to think of that when you're discussing your total compensation yeah like do do a budget and and have a budget spreadsheet or a tool whatever you use to understand what what it what you need for your kind of like your base life (laughs) Like, do you like to travel a lot? Whatever, figure that out and then base everything else around that. And if it, like, the, maybe the salary isn't three times as high as you want it to be, but it's still plenty for you to still do the things that matter to you. Maybe those other values are weighted more. So do a weighted spreadsheet. This is the thing. I, I mentioned this one time before on the, on the show and it was like, have have a spreadsheet that has the things that you value um, and then put weights next to them. And, and salary maybe isn't the most important thing on, on that spreadsheet. Maybe it's work-life balance, being able to go home at a normal time every night. That that might be super important. And maybe you're willing to sacrifice 10K per year because you can do that. And it's it's not always just about salary. Yeah, I want to echo everything. Um, I, actually, I also want to jump back to a point Matthew brought, which is that recruiters do this every day. And so you are at a huge disadvantage talking to the recruiter on the phone. And that is probably what they're going to try to get you to do. They want you to negotiate right then and there. And it's a really good idea for you to try to move that conversation to email or try to push it off. Like, don't underestimate that. Also, really practice, like, even get a friend, practice some questions that a recruiter might ask you. Like, oh, hey, what is your salary expectation for this job? Just it really helps to practice, like, when you get that question, how you're going to respond. Like having a strong voice and like being able to like practice and negotiate, negotiate, it really makes a big difference. Negotiating is obviously huge. And the thing that gives you the ability to negotiate, this is really my final thing, is get leverage somehow, whether that is a second offer, which is really the best kind of leverage because then they know you can go somewhere else. Or I said this earlier, if you're still interviewing, the tech company is going to assume that you can pass elsewhere. So just keep interviewing or keep saying you're interviewing while you're negotiating. And then even if the company isn't going to move on salary, ask them to move on something else. And then maybe they'll move on that or maybe they'll throw more money at you to, to shut you up. Like, but, but just know that they're playing a game and you need to play it too. All great advice. All right. Well, let's jump into picks. Uh, in each episode of our podcast, we like to choose things that we want to share with our listeners that we found interesting. They might pertain to salary, but they might not. So let's go around the table and share our picks for today's episode. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have two picks. Um, one is salary negotiation related. Um, other than Matthew's talk, um, another really great resource that I found is a site called fearlesssalarynegotiation.com. Um it's a service and I can't speak to the service. Um, I think there's like something you can pay and someone will train you or you can get some videos, but they have a lot of like really good articles of um, like even like email templates or how you like, why you should negotiate and getting into that mindset of like really understanding that, Hey, like this is why you should negotiate. No, they're not going to revoke your offer, all these great things. So um, highly recommend. Uh, My second pick is this thing called project alias. Um, it's a pretty cool thing, um, and I think it's pretty clever. So privacy for like smart home devices like Google Home and Alexa, um, it's really, really kind of scary that they're always listening to you. And I think this is like a really clever device. What it does is you put it on top of your smart home device, and it will generate this white noise that will <laughs> constantly feed it so it can't hear what you're saying. And that project alias kind of device has a trigger word 
that you say, so you could say alias or Bob or something, and then it will start, it will let the smart home device like start listening to you. And I think it's like super clever. That's it's amazing. They call it like a parasite virus kind of thing. And it, it actually, if you look at it, it looks like this like gunk mushroom that you put on top of your Google Home or Alexa. Um, I don't know if it's actually for sale, but I love it. I can't believe society has come to this. I, it's. I thought it was. It might. Maybe it should be. Uh, All your yeah. base are belong to. <laughs> yes. There we go. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right, Stacy. What do you have for us? Uh, I don't have any relevant uh, picks related to salary stuff. Although someone mentioned levels.fyi. I think that one's an interesting one. Um, I have two picks, two music picks. Um, the first one is Second World by HVOB. Um, this is an Australian, or Austrian rather, uh, electronic duo. Um, I just saw them recently in San Francisco. It was really great. Um, HVOB stands for Her Voice Over Boys. Um, they kind of focus on restrained and minimalist electronica. Uh, it's really great and very beautiful. Kind of an epic buildup. The second pick is uh, Phaedra, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correct, but uh, it's a 1995 remaster by Tangerine Dream. Um, it's a bunch of synthy, synthy goodness from 1974. It's actually, they're a German electronic group, and they formed a long time ago, 1967. Yeah, this song was featured in uh, Netflix's sort of interactive adventure, uh, Bandersnatch. They're incredibly influential. They're kind of considered like pioneers of electronica, um, it's really in great sort of uh, synthy old school song. So um, I think you'll appreciate that while you're trying to cook. So, Jam, what do you have for us today? Thank you, Ryan. I have two picks today. Uh, the first pick is from Logo Lounge, which is a fantastic site. And every year they do a 2018 logo trends, which is, or they do a logo trends from the year. And it's just fascinating because you, you only see one logo. So, like, you'll see an Airbnb rebrand or... Uh, who rebranded Slack. Slack. Oh, don't get me started on that one. Uh, the Slack rebrand. And you're like, oh, wow, that's so new and original and innovative. But when you see Logo Lounge and their recap of all of the logos for the year, you see actually most logos are derivative and they're all like they're categorizing these clusters. You're like, oh, actually, that wasn't that original. Uh, not that these new logos are good or bad, but it's interesting to see the context and it's interesting to see the web like evolve uh it's fun to go back and see how logos have changed over the years and you're like oh wow i've never considered that this was a thing and like designers are always thinking about things like this like you probably don't even pay attention right yeah. no but designers do my second pick actually is related to this talk for once uh it's hired.com i used them before in new york and you know this isn't an endorsement necessarily of their service but services like that are good because you submit your application companies kind of bid on you in a way they say hey here's kind of what we're offering in the general range and it's good to see a lot of different companies from like series c's to, to angel funded startups and mostly you get a good sense of what you're worth and what other companies are interested in talking to you and that's just like if you can't find any other information it's good to have a baseline and it's a pretty good baseline and it doesn't cost you anything very cool Matthew, what do you have for us? So I'm going to go completely unrelated because how often do you get to submit picks to Front End Happy Hour? Or at least not when you don't live in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> so I am a big fan of theater, Broadway, on Broadway, off Broadway, etc. I live in New York City. I probably saw something somewhere between 40 and 50 shows last year. So I'm going to tell you about two things that you probably haven't heard of yet. The first one is called Be More Chill. It is going to be the big hit musical in 2019. It's really cool. It's a it's about a high schooler who takes a pill that implants a robot in your brain that tells you what to do so you can be cool. <laughs> this it's, sounds amazing. It's amazing. What? And like four years ago, it was in New Jersey and they recorded an off-off-Broadway soundtrack. And then that trended so much, it went off-Broadway and now it's going on-Broadway. I have tickets to see it three times because this is me. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm very excited. So be more chill. You should check it out. Listen to it on Spotify or whatever you use. The second one is Puffs the Play. So I am a big Harry Potter fan. I mentioned that I'm a Slytherin. This is a off-Broadway production about the Puffs 
the least popular house in the Harry Potter universe. It is very, very funny. And they recorded the whole thing, so you can watch it on Amazon. I have seen this show something like 10 times. I love it so much. It is so funny. If you're in New York, see it live. If you're not in New York, go buy it on any streaming service. Netflix, pick up the rights to it, please. (laughs) (laughs) So Be More Chill and Puffs are my picks. Wow, these are some good picks. I'm definitely going to have to follow, which honestly, I'm going to keep this one on topic. It's come up a few times in our episode, but Matthew gives an amazing talk on negotiating salary. Matthew, what's the title to this talk? Double your salary with this one simple (laughs) trick. Like love the buzzwords there and just like clickbait. Yes. There was a nine-year-old in the audience and I did agree to double his allowance, which was $9. So... Did you give him a, did you just like hand that out of your pocket or what? I talked to his dad about it. (laughs) 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 So I highly recommend going to watch it. We covered some really interesting things on the episode, um, but I I honestly think there's a lot of really amazing advice in that talk. It's like a pretty quick talk too. Yeah, it's like, it's like 22 minutes ish. There's a lot of gifts. I'm stupid when I'm in front of people. So enjoy that. It's a good talk. So I highly recommend going check that out. We'll add the link in the show notes. Another thing that I found was a good article that actually Harry shared it with me. Um, So Harry Wolf had shared this one on engineering management. It really talks about like getting into engineering management. And but it also talks about once you're in engineering, like as an engineering manager, do you climb the ladder or do you just stay as an engineering manager? And it talks about the pros and cons. Uh, The article outlines a lot of really good advice on becoming a manager or if you even want to be doing that. So I highly recommend checking that article out as well. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Matthew for joining us. Uh, Where can people get in touch with you? Sure. So you can find me on my Twitter, Matthew Gerstman. My name is difficult to spell, but you'll find it in writing on the website. It's really not that hard, though. No one spells it right. (laughs) You can also find me on my website, MatthewGerstman.com. I have a blog there where I post just all sorts of their theater reviews and in-depth tech articles. This is who I am. And uh, you can also listen to me on the console log. Every week we put out a episode about that week's front end news. So it is a nice, easy way to keep up with what's going on in the front end world. Right on. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to Front End Happy Hour Podcasts on whatever you like to well, listen to podcasts on. And you can follow us on Twitter at FrontEndHH. So we talk about we should ask engineers what we get paid, and that's really helpful. Jem, what are you currently making? Uh, I make dollars with a red Lambo and a beach house in Texas. Right on. Matthew? Uh, I get paid purely in house points in the Harry Potter system. Augustus? Oh, well, I'm making... um... Stacy, how much are you getting paid? Dollars (laughs) a month. A month. Damn. Wow. And also hopes and dreams. I get paid in hopes and dreams.